Hello, everybody. My name is Casey Callanan. You might have heard me on this podcast before or when I write blogs for facultyfactory.org. I work with Kim, and today, on a very special episode of the Faculty Factory podcast, I interview Kim about her Writing Accountability Groups project, also known as WAGS. And we also discuss common writing barriers and some strategies on how to beat those barriers. friends, this is Kim Skorupski. Welcome to another episode of the Faculty Factory podcast. WAGs are writing accountability groups. Writing accountability groups are peer-facilitated writing groups of four to eight people who meet once a week for 10 weeks. And in that once a week, they're meeting for one hour. And that one hour is split up into 15-minute goal setting and recap, 30-minute timed communal writing session, and then a 15-minute recap and goal setting for the following week. And just remind us of your background real quick. My background is I've been in academic affairs. I'm an associate dean for faculty development at Hopkins, been doing this work for about a dozen years now. And during those writing accountability groups, you guys go over some of the most common barriers in writing, not just academic writing, not just scholarly writing, could be writing in general. So What's your advice when it comes to some of these most common barriers is kind of the topic of today's podcast. And I'm just going to start out with the first common barrier we've identified, and that's writing is a muse. Writing is something I need to feel inspired to do. Can you talk about The myth of the muse, this is the idea that there's something magical or mysterious about writing. The fact that when you finally decide to write, all of a sudden this magical fairy comes flying over to you through the heavens and sprinkles a pixie dust all around you, and all of a sudden you're in the vortex, and it's happening, and you're in this magical, mysterious place, and everything's like silk or like butter flying out of your brain to your fingers, and you're just on fire, that there's something special about writing you just picture Hemingway like yeah so yeah you Stephen King human like a non-human thing yeah and it's just not right we don't use that myth for anything else we don't we do we don't say you know oh cancel my patients or I'm not going to teach today I'm not going to go to that media I'm not in a in a you know meeting or patient feeling kind of space you know it's not happening today but we use this myth of the muse all the time for writing because we think it needs something special or there's something mysterious about writing it's not it's just not true you don't need to feel inspired to write you just need to write is that go back to kind of just we brought in our definition of writing in the in the wags and just you can consider really Anything that helps you get closer to writing as writing. Do you want to explain that a little bit better, the broaden, broadening your definition of writing yeah. strategy? Yeah, that kind of speaks to the idea of um, people who think um, or say they have no time and they're right. They, they, you know, I've got no time to write. I can't. It's easy for you to say I should be writing regularly. You know, I dare you. Look at my calendar. I've got no time. I'm seeing patients. I'm teaching classes. I'm running projects. I'm doing research. I'm in meetings. I'm you know, sifting through hundreds of emails. I have no time to write. Well, we talk about in, in WAG's idea of expanding your definition of writing. So if you think of writing as any activity or all the activities that go into putting another line on your CV or your bio sketch, now all of a sudden you've expanded the possibilities of what that writing could be, which means when you have five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, when historically you thought that, well, I can't write per se in that brief amount of time, well, now all of a sudden in five, 10 minute chunks, if you think about that as just reading through an abstract to see if you need to include that paper in the references or formatting a table or putting a chart together, 
you can do that for a couple few minutes and then go back to your patients or your meeting or your teaching or whatever else you're doing. So small snippets and chunks. So that that has to do with people who feel like they have no time to write is expanding your definition of writing. What about the old classic, I have trouble starting to write. I can't just start. Yeah, so that's an, that's a real common one. This is that whole uh, staring at the white piece of paper and that writer's block. The easiest way to get over that hurdle of not being ready to start is to get templates. And so by templates, that's either asking a colleague or a friend to share with you the recent paper that they published in the same journal. So ideally, you uh, either identify a good manuscript that you like, a good publication in that journal that you're going to shoot for, your target journal, or you can ask one of your co-authors or friends, hey, can you shoot me your recent publication in that same journal? Because you want to be using the same format and style. So use that as a template. So uh, there's no harm in um, using something as a formula. So you don't, you're certainly not going to plagiarize anybody else's work, but the easiest way to get over that hurdle is just lay out your paper in the same format. What I also do is open up a last paper that you had and do a file save as, and that way now you've got a, a manuscript that's 40 pages, 50 pages long, and then you can gut it. So again, you open up an old manuscript that you just finished and then just kind of go through and do a save as, and then you can clear out the contents, but now you've got some formatting there. So templates, models, um, that's an easy way to start get um, started. What about the common barrier to writing when people say, I'm not ready to start because I'm not prepared. I haven't done X, Y, Z. I'm not prepared. How can I just start writing? Yeah, so that one's a little bit different from feeling like you don't know how to start. Some people say, well, I know how to start, Kim. Thank you very much. My problem is I'm not ready to because I need more data, more, more feedback. I need to read more literature. I need more comments from my authors. I need to see some more patients. Whatever it is that you know, it's, you're not quite ready yet. Well, that's the problem of thinking, well, when I'm all done, then I'll be ready to start. That's a problem. Just start writing as soon as you have the idea. So to to get over that hurdle of never thinking that you're ready, just start writing. Um, You can certainly always fill out the methods, what you're doing, because that you're doing, that's the easiest part of the paper is what did you, what was your experiment? What was your design? What are you doing? So you can start that already. You know, you're going to have a table one or table two. You know, you're going to have references. You can start filling things in right away. So you're, yes, you're ready to start right now. And another suggestion is um, to write throughout the process. So as you're doing things every day, start making notes about what things occur to you to fill in for the introduction of the discussion. The biggest part of um, in this barrier that I find when people feel like they're not ready is they think that they have to figure out what they're going to say, and then they'll be ready to start writing. So they, they say, I'm not ready yet because I really don't know what I want to say. I really don't know what I want to say yet. I haven't figured it all out. Well, I always talk about um, the example of, Writing isn't what we do after we figure it out. Writing is how you figure it out. So let me say that again. Writing isn't what we do after we figured out what we're going to say. Writing is how you figure out what you're saying, what you're going to say. So the example I always give is when I took piano lessons from Sister Mary Williams as a little girl, when she would give me a new piece of sheet music, I wouldn't go home and sit at the kitchen table and look at that sheet music and figure it out. I'd go sit at the piano. And I'd start banging away at that piano and I'd say, oh, four flats, are you kidding me? Three sharps, get out of here. And I'd start playing, I'd sit down, I'd play it out, I'd play it out, it sounded horrible, I'd make mistakes. I kept playing it and then I figured it out and it got better. The same way, sit at your keyboard. You play that sucker out till you figure it out. You don't wait till it just pops into your head magically one night in the middle of the night. What about the people who maybe have like so much 
documents laid out and they just have so much prepared maybe just to play counter you know to play devil's advocate on that one what if the people who just feel like they're overly prepared they have so many different you know documents in front of them and they're like where do i begin what would you say to those people yeah that's a problem with prioritizing so it's a blessing and a curse that in, in academia, many of us have more than one project. I mean, it's easy if you just have one project, you just plow through that thing, you know, you just one thing, you chew it off and you just finish that thing. But unfortunately, or fortunately, we all have lots of papers. And I give the example of, of those projects being like an industrial stove cooktop in a restaurant. Imagine all the burners going on and you got that chef in that kitchen and there are pots of, you know, water boiling and vegetables getting ready to be stir fried and meat that's, you know, browning and this is cooking. And all those pots represent all of our papers and projects. And they're all in various stages of readiness. So all of a sudden when the waiter comes flying in and says, quick, we got to fix an order for on table 15. That's like the reviewer coming back to you saying, hey, Casey, that's a great paper. We want to publish it. Can you make a few changes? Well, all of a sudden now that rolling pot of boiling water on the front burner goes to the back burner because now you got to bring those vegetables up front. We got to deal with that here and now. That's got to go back in two weeks. So that's this idea of, um, you know, prioritizing, prioritizing figuring out you can't, it, it's, you know, cutting off your own nose to spite your face if you're just going to stick with one project and see that to the end. You have to be able to turf, to triage, to prioritize, and mentors and being in a wag, those, your friends there will help you identify what are the priorities and how you may be spinning your wheels, spending too much time. Another way to get over that, that prioritization problem is allocating specific periods of time for specific tasks and keeping track of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that'd be like us going to the gym and just spending all of our time on our, our biceps and our chest and just keep doing that. Why? Because we like that. That's easy. That's fun. Then we're going to get these bar bodies and our lower bodies completely neglected. You might look good at the beach, <laughs> but you will look ridiculous. Exactly. So the same thing with our papers and our research. You don't want to spend the same um, because we like doing analyses. Some people like to piddle around in data. So they'll just muck around in analysis for hours and hours and hours and hours. And then they wonder why they don't get papers done because they're spending all their time doing the things that they like. So how do you get around that? You set up a schedule and you say, I'm only going to let myself do read literature for whatever 20 hours, or I'm only going to allow myself to do X number of hours of analyses. And then you keep track of it. And then when you get to that end point, you better have a darn good reason for pushing beyond that. Or um, you say, nope, I'm done. I'm not going to do any more biceps. I got to do other body parts. Okay. And just to give some background on me, I'm Kim's friend. I'm also a writer. I am not in academic medicine. I have more of like a journalism background and I'm in the communications and marketing field right now. And I will just say from my experience as a writer, if I'm writing like a novel or a book or I'm attempting to, and I have an overwhelming amount of sources in front of me that I want to, or just, you know, stories that I've written down that I want to incorporate in the novel. And I'm overwhelmed with like all these different things I want to put into my paper. I've heard one time someone say that, well, the good stuff sticks. So the good stuff will stick in your head and you'll remember that and you'll trust in yourself that you'll remember that as a writer when you go to write the final piece. Is there any of that involved in? Yeah, exactly. That's whole, you know, gets back to that thing of, writing as soon as you get the idea. There's no problem with writing as many things down because we all know it's easy to edit. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why when people ask, you know, for letters of recommendation in, in academia, they always, you know, your bosses will say, well, you start the letter for me. And you draft it. Why? Because it's easier to draft. It's easier to edit somebody else's first draft. So figure out that those, all the writing you're doing is you're, um, 
setting yourself up to be able to edit something later. A technique we talk about is as you get closer to finishing a manuscript, you create another document called, you know, extra resources or um, musings or ideas, and you copy and paste those extraneous text, because sometimes a lot of writers, they get so wedded to their ideas and these other resources you're talking about, then ultimately the gut check is, I really don't need that, but I want, I don't want to lose it. So you just paste that over in that extra documents mm-hmm. kind of thing, call the file something like extra stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that way you're not freaking out. Um, it's not lost. It's just sitting somewhere else in case you want to pull it back up. But yeah, write as much as you can down. There's no harm in getting as much on the paper as you can and then edit later. It's always easy to edit. What about that person that can't finish writing? There's a common barrier that maybe is out there that I cannot finish. I just keep going and going and going and going. I don't know when to call it quits. What do you say about that? Yeah, that that's um that's a good one too. People who are perfectionists, the problem in academia and probably a lot of other writers is that those of us who suffer from perfectionism, it's never we feel like it's never good enough. Yeah, it'll it's, never be perfect. I can keep editing and Exactly. Make it in the history of publication, there's probably been like two or three occasions where the editor has come back saying, Casey, great job. We love the paper. We're going to publish it next week. Keep them coming. Love the journal. That doesn't happen. I mean, nothing is ever perfect. Know that. Embrace it. Get the paper out the door. Give those reviewers some job security. Um, there's going to be a problem. So don't let yourself just ruminate, 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 and just spin your wheels because you feel like it's not perfect. Um, that's where you can count on your co-authors, your fellow waggers to just kick that paper out the door. Don't allow your perfectionism to thwart your progress. Well, also, you don't you talk about in WAGs how when you're trying to build the habit to make writing just completely automatic and completely mechanical as something you do as naturally as like walking your dog? Like, yeah. don't we talk about how you have to force yourself to stop at a certain time because you don't want to fall into the situation where you're binge writing and you're be, you're building you know, right. an unsustainable writing habit. Exactly. That's, you're, you've hit the nail on the head there. You can't sus, um, sustain a binge. So we in WAGs, we talk about not engaging in these unplanned binge writing. And I emphasize unplanned binge writing because sometimes in our world, you have these LOIs, these letters of intent or these RFPs, these requests for proposals that come out and they're due in a couple weeks couple weeks. Well, now you're going to be engaged in planned binge writing. You're writing your pants off, but that's a planned binge. You can't help it. That's just the nature of our work. But for the most part, you don't want to be doing that. You want to be very specific about setting specific times, start on time, stop on time. Then you're right. It becomes automatic, mechanical. When things are automatic or mechanical, like our morning rituals, you don't freak out about it. You don't have any emotion around it. It's just something you do. There's never been a day when I got in my shower in the morning and said, all right, what's happening in this shower today? What are we doing? There's no question. You got a routine. You got a ritual. You don't think about it. You want to get to the point with writing, and you will through a wag, where you're not going to try to think, overthink, what am I going to do today? You're going to have a routine. You have a ritual. You write for this period of time. You start on time. You stop on time. You have an agenda. You get in. You get out. You no, have no problem stopping because you know you're going to be right back at it the next day or the next scheduled time. So just to recap, wagyourwork.com, if you want more information about the writing accountability groups that, that Kim has been putting on for years now and has had great success with. Yeah. And, um, so wagyourwork.com, you can get in touch with Kim there. You can also check out Kim's book, which essentially takes a lot of the teachings and what's great about 
the WAGs in the writing accountability groups and kind of puts it into a book form for maybe someone who it's just not feasible to actually join a, a WAG themselves. That's right. Thanks, Casey. Sure. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.